Welcome to Connection Church's podcast. This week, Brandon Williams concludes the series entitled, On Your Mark. Brandon challenges us that today, religiously, the church is better off than it has ever been. But there is a good chance that it is more spiritually dead than it has ever been. So the question is, what's stopping and hindering us from something more? Good morning. It's a lot louder than the first service. My microphone didn't work through the whole first service, so that's a lot better. Glad y'all are here today. Welcome to Connection Church. If you're first time, uh, thankful for you being here. Also, um, if it's, you've been here before, just glad to see you back. And just believing that God's going to do some cool stuff today uh, through His Word. want to do something real quick. Um, just been on my heart this service is, there's a lot of stuff going on right now. There's a lot of things that are, that are that's going on with people and people a lot of families who are, are needing God at this point, and just we always need God, but I think some people who are hurting that I know of a lot. And this is what I want to do. Um, I want to ask you to, to grab the hand of somebody next to you. We're going to pray, and we're just going to ask God to, to be with us. I know that might be a little awkward for you, uh, but we're, we're going to just agree that God would do something uh, in the lives of the folks that are, that are needing Him and needing a touch from Him today. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your grace and your mercy, Lord. I pray for, for folks, God, there, there's just, seems like things come in waves, God. And I just ask you right now that you would be with us. I, I pray that we would recognize our need for you every day, not just when things seem to hit the fan, God, but, but just every day. But right now I lift up specifically these families who are hurting. I lift up to you um, those who are in, in need of a, a touch from you. And I pray that in their, their time of need, they would look to you, the only one who can satisfy our needs. Lord, we thank you and love you. I thank you for each person here, that this is a divine appointment for them. And I would ask you just to touch their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, this morning, and I don't know, it, it's, it's just been just a heaviness on my heart. And I really believe this with all my heart. I believe that, that we're under, and I don't want this to sound like spooky spiritual, like, you know, this kooky, but I just feel like the, the devil's really trying to come against us. I feel like that the church is really um, kind of coming under attack. I, I feel like the Lord has got some awesome stuff that he wants to do in 2011 and in our lives individually and as a church. And, and I believe that specifically this morning um, that that's happening simply because I believe if we grab hold of this message, today we realize who we're supposed to be as the church as the body of Christ that God would do such awesome things and not just in this church not in these four walls but in our community that, that he does not want that to happen I believe that as we're walking and we're doing the things that God wants us to do we're going to face adversity because we have an adversary and I believe that he will try to come against us but the good news of God is that Jesus has overcome that through the cross he is he has overcome Satan that when he said it is finished, it was done, and Satan's fate was, was sealed. And when he rose on the third day, that it's our promise that we too will rise, and we can have life through Christ, life that only God can give. And so it's today as we go through this message, I want to challenge you. Be in prayer that God would reveal himself to us, that God would show us his heart, and that God would begin to do something incredible that only he can do, and that he would show us what the church is supposed to be, and that we, filled with the Holy Spirit, will begin to become everything that he desires for us. Amen? All right, we're going to be reading in Luke chapter 10 today. If you have your Bibles, um, 
turn to Luke 10. We're going to begin reading in verse 25. We're going to read 25 through 28. And, and we'll go through this, this parable. It's a familiar parable. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. But we want to pull out some things here today because I believe that Jesus was teaching more than just trying to teach one man about, about how to be a good neighbor. Right? I believe that he was trying to teach us what people of God are supposed to do. I believe he was giving us an illustration of how the church should live and how the church should act and how the church should respond to need. And so we're going to begin looking at this. Um, Verse 25, Luke chapter 10. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for life. I thank you that your word is living and active. I pray, God, that it would sink into our hearts. Leave us changed, God. I pray that we would leave um, our, our religious acts behind today and that we would move into a relationship that leaves us spiritually alive instead of religiously dead, God. I thank you for it, God. Just move in this time that we could be different, that we could be an example of the community that can only be created by the working of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. When Susan and I first got married, we lived in Waynesboro, Georgia. We, we uh, lived there for about a year and a half. And I remember um, specifically on, on, in the morning, she would go north to Augusta. I would come south to Statesboro. And I remember one time specifically, I was on the way home from work. Um, you know, she's at home. She's cooking dinner. And God help us, neither one of us knew how to cook when we got married. She had a, a restaurant owner's, uh, her father was a restaurant owner, so they ate every meal at the restaurant. My mama just did everything for me, so I never had to cook, I mean, just to be honest. And so neither one of us knew how to cook, so we have some incredible cooking stories that we could share. But I was on the way home, I get a phone call, I answer, it's Susan, she says, and, and not even really at that excited about it, she says, Brandon, the kitchen's on fire. I said, where are you? She said, I'm in the kitchen. I said, you might need to get out of there. I said, what are you going to do? She's like, I don't know. And she was trying to fry okra. And the grease got too hot, caught on fire. So she ended up just taking the frying pan out and taking it outside and throwing it in the yard. Everything was okay other than some smoke, you know, damage in the kitchen. But we were renting the house, so we just didn't tell anybody. And, and it all worked out fine. But, but she called me, and, and she was so calm. And, 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 I mean, the house was on fire, but she was so calm. I mean, she wasn't flipping out. She wasn't panicking. It was like, okay, whatever. It's not that big a deal. And, and I thought about that in relationship to the church this week. I thought about how there ought to be an alarm going off in the back of our head right now. There ought to be an alarm going off in our spirit that says something's just not right. There ought to be something going off on the inside of us that says, ding, ding, ding. Listen, the church is not being what the church is supposed to be. But I am amazed at constantly how we go through the motions of church, how we go through this religious stupidity of just getting up and doing the motions with no relationship with God. Jesus didn't die so you could go through some religious motions. He died so that you could know the living God. He didn't die so that we could just show up on Sunday morning. He died so that when we came to worship, there would be energy and life, that our lives would be invigorated with the power of the Holy Spirit. 
See, here's the truth, and you, you can write this down, you can tweet this, Facebook it, whatever you want to do, but this is the truth. That we can be religiously alive and spiritually dead. Religious activity does not substitute for a relationship with Jesus Christ. Showing up consistently on Sunday doesn't, doesn't satisfy your soul. A relationship with the living God, the God of the universe, is the only thing that can satisfy you. And we, we, we think that something else can, but it can't. And even though we try and we try and we try to find something that can fill that, but nothing can. And so we have to come to this place of realizing that until I am fully enveloped in a relationship with Jesus, I will never, ever, ever truly be alive. And it's the most unorthodox, it's, the most, it's, it's just the most challenging thing for us to get our mind around the fact that I have to die in order to live. That I have to come to a place of surrendering all I have to Christ if I'm actually going to live the life that God wants me to live. It is it's such a, a, just a hard thing for us to wrap our mind around. You mean I have to die to live? How can that happen? What are you telling me? And the truth is we're all going to die one day. Are we willing to die today? That's the question. Are we willing to die to ourselves, to our own desires, so that Jesus can live in us? Because this is the truth. Jesus can't do what he wants to do through us until we're willing to die to us. Until we become a tool in his hand. Listen, I've never picked up a hammer and went to drive a nail and the hammer say, I'm not going to do that. That's stupid. But it's just as stupid to think that God can't do what he wants to through us. But we've got to yield ourselves to him. We've got to surrender ourselves to him. And the thing I see in the church more times than not is the church is about us. We have created worship services about us. We have created lives that are about us and they're not about the kingdom. And I'm sorry, we kind of, things got a little heated in the first service. So if we get there again today, I'm sorry, I had to change shirts. I was all sweated down. I mean, but if we get there again, I apologize. I really don't apologize. It'll be good. I hope that God will continue to work in this service. But there are just some things we need to get right. Agreed? And I believe that, I believe this with all my heart. That if we will grab hold of the fact that it's not about religion, it's about relationship, it's about being spiritually alive. I believe the reason that this heaviness I've been feeling is because it scares the hell out of Satan that we would grab a hold of this. It scares him. And he knows that if a group of people will grab a hold of the fact that we can be spiritually alive, born by the Spirit of God, living in the Spirit of God, that, that he knows he would lose control and that the kingdom of God would truly begin to take back from the kingdom of darkness. And this is what we're going to look at today in these scriptures. I mean, Jesus runs into this lawyer, basically. He's an expert in the law, right? He knows the law backwards and forwards. And he runs into this guy, and, and the guy is like trying to show off to Jesus. Do you think that we could really impress God? We can't impress God. And this guy's going to test Jesus. That's a losing battle right there. He's trying to test God. And he says, well, tell me what I have to do. And Jesus does like the first Jedi mind trick that's ever been done. He's like, no, you tell me. And, and the guy turns around and he's like, you, you tell me what the law says. And he's like, okay. And so he does. He, and he, he says the exact right words. But this guy, he's, he's religiously alive. But this guy's spiritually dead. And Jesus knows that. And he, he comes to this place where he tells him this parable to demonstrate just how messed up he is. And I wonder how true Jesus' words are for us today as the church as true as they were back in this day 
to him. Listen to this. I want to go through a few things. There's several things I want to talk to you about, but we'll get through them. We'll get out on time. Don't worry about that. You'll have your seat at lunch, and, um, and you, can, you can get out of here. But I do want to tell you a few things that I believe Jesus is teaching us through this parable. Listen to this. I want to read to you verses 28 and 29, and I'm going to tell you today, I'm going to tell you some things that I believe um, religion has come in and robbed the church of, that I believe religion has come in and derailed the church from its purposes. Listen to verse 28. It says, You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But listen to this. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? This guy won't quit. He says, to justify himself, he says, well, who's my neighbor then? Who is my neighbor? Because Jews only believed that their neighbor were the people like them. And so he's trying to justify himself. The first thing I believe that religion's trained us to do is to seek self-justification when God says, surrender to the one who justifies. You know how many people are sitting in church today? Not because they're thankful for their salvation and what God has done in their life, but simply because they're still trying to justify themselves. I believe that's why we walk into church so many times and we're just miserable. It's because we don't come out of gratitude, we come out of guilt. We come because, well, i got to do my religious duty. I screwed up all week, and now i got to go to church. Do we really think that if we attend church 52 weeks out of the year, and then we're apart from God the rest of the time, that we're going to stand before him, and somehow he's going to look at us and go, well, it's okay, you were in church every Sunday. No, because you can't stack enough good chips on your side to equal out to a holy God. That's why Jesus came. How many of you want to stand before God on your own merit? I don't. I did things, you know, I, I do not want to do that. I do not want to stand in front of God and go, God, look at this. Look at this pile of chips right here. This looks good, doesn't it? That's stupid. That's, that's ludicrous that we would think we could stand before God who is perfect in every way and give him enough good reasons to let us be in his presence. Uh, it just can't happen. But we try to do that. We try to justify ourselves before God. Listen, do you really think we can live up to a standard? To a standard that was set by God giving His only Son. Do you really think that we can fill the commandment of love that Jesus gave us to the point that God has fulfilled it? We can't. That's why Jesus came. And it's not a reason to just throw our hands up in there and go, well, I'll never be good enough. That's why he gave us the Spirit of God. So that when we were cleansed in this temple, this tent that we're going to be in for maybe 60, 70, 80 years, however long it might be, but he gave us the Spirit of God. When he purified us, he filled us with his Spirit so that we could then begin to become like God. But we can't do it on our own. And so many times religion teaches us that we're just going to justify ourselves. Let's just go to church. If I read my Bible, if I pray enough, you can't do enough. You can't do enough. It's about the justification that comes through Christ and the transformation that only comes when God is working in your life. Verse 30 says this. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now this journey from Jerusalem to Jericho, it was a treacherous journey. It was actually called the Bloody Way because so many people were robbed and beaten on this road. It dropped like 
3,000 feet from Jerusalem to Jericho. And it was a winding road that went all through um, just some rough country. And so it was easy for robbers to look and find people who were on this journey and they would jump out and beat them. Nobody would have tried to make this journey alone. And yet we find this man alone and laying on the side of the road. And you know what I see in this and where I see this play out in the church is that we love to look at people and go, they got themselves into it, Let, let, let them get themselves out. They got themselves into it. And sometimes when people, we see their life going in the wrong direction and it finally falls off the cliff and it crashes and burns, we even love to like play prophet, right? Like, I told you that was going to happen. I knew it. I knew it was going to happen. And somehow it makes us feel better that their life's been destroyed. Man, what if God did that to us? What if God looked upon us? And, and this, is the, this is the second thing that I believe that religion's done, is it says, you got yourself into this, now get yourself out. What if God had done that to us? I mean, it's our sin. It's our life. We, we made the decisions. What if God looked at us and said, you made the mess, you get yourself out. I don't know about you, but... My children at home, if you have children, you can probably relate to this. We can have everything spotless, everything picked up. They walk through the house, and it looks like a tornado hit. Chris Owens told me he calls that the tornado. It's like it just walks in, just toys fall off the floor. I mean, it's spotless women, and next minute it's a mess. And our children love to make a mess, but boy, they hate to clean it up. And in the world around us, the thing we constantly see is, if you make the mess, you clean it up. Because that's what responsible people do. The problem is, when that carries over into our relationship with God, yes, there is a responsibility, but the responsibility and the ability to change our lives comes when we realize that God bailed us out of our own mess. That he took us out of the mess and set us on a solid foundation so that we could live our life differently. So that even in the mess we made, the sin of our lives that we could never justify ourselves from, Jesus comes along and he picks us up and he cleans us off and he sets us on a solid rock, a solid foundation so that we can live a different life. I mean, that's incredible. God could have very easily looked at us and said, this is your mess. You clean it up. And in the church, we love to look at people and say, this is your mess, you clean it up. In fact, usually when people make a mistake and they end up, end up hurting for it, that's usually when the church turns away from it. We love to shoot our wounded. We love it when people make mistakes that we can go and point them out and, and be like, well, that's, that's, how can they call themselves a Christian? And you know, the thing that I see that's the biggest problem in the church is not just mistakes that people made, but the hypocritical and judgmental attitude that we put on other folks. Because if any of you are perfect, Jesus said, cast the first stone. But I doubt any of you have stones in your pockets. Because we've all sinned and fallen short of what God's had for us. And when's the church going to be a, a people, a body? That instead of coming along and looking down our noses at people, we bend down and we lift a finger to try to help them up. It would have been easy for this Levite and this priest to look at this man laying on the side of the road and said, look at this idiot. He tried to make this journey on his own. He should have known he's going to get robbed. Let him help himself. And then finally somebody comes along with some compassion and they begin to help him. Listen to this in verse 31 and 32. It says, A priest happened to be going down the same road. 
And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Religions cause us to forget that the best theology is a living one. The best theology is one that's alive. That's actually taking place in our lives. That's actually evident in our lives. It's amazing to me how many times we walk through the doors of church, we come in and we sit down and we look at a screen and we do all these things, and yet we never live out the theology that we say we hold to. What good is more information if we have no transformation? What good is it to say that we're Christian and that the Spirit of God lives inside of us if there's no evidence of it? I believe that we've traded in the spiritual transformation of God for just going through some religious motions and holy activity. And the church is never going to do all that it's supposed to do until we break out of this mold. We've built this spiritual card house and tried to place God in the center of it. And we want God to move. It's just we want him to move the way we want him to move. We want to place our expectations on him and then say, God, you do it this way. But don't do it that way because that makes me uncomfortable. And God, do it through that guy because he gets paid to do this. I mean, that's what he does. And the problem is we're all called to this. Your, your spiritual activity, God using you in, in the world, is not limited to where your paycheck comes from. It doesn't matter where you're at in school. It matters that you are a Christian. You have given your life to Christ. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. And God is calling you to be a part of the story that he is writing. But so many times our theology stops at our, our neck. And it's never sunk into our heart. And so we go through these motions that they can't do anything. They can't do anything for us. And we just go through and, and, and it never takes root in our heart. I see so many times, this is, I thought about this this week, I see so many times that church is like a football huddle. You ever thought about this? Think about it. It's like a football huddle. Everybody comes together. We all know each other real well. We're all comfortable with each other because we've been practicing together. And we all come together, and, and we know all the plays, we know all the right things to say, we know, we know everything that we ought to do, and, and we come together, and we all look inward at each other, and then the problem with the church is, we draw up some really good plays, we just never break the huddle. We got the greatest playbook in the world, and we never break the huddle. We just like to come in and huddle together and we raise our hands and we worship God. Oh man, it's awesome. But it doesn't matter if it never takes hold outside of these walls. It doesn't matter if it never really takes hold in our heart. And if we were really honest, most people walk through the doors of church looking for what I can get out of it, not for what God's going to do through me. Because it's so much about our theology that we've forgotten to live it out. It's gotten so lodged in our brain. That we just would rather go through the motions rather than actually doing what God's called us to do. Now the same verses, I believe this, that religion's taught us to be more concerned with personal piety than with people. I believe this with all my heart. This priest and this Levite, they, they could have gone and helped this guy. But, but if he had died, if, if he didn't make it and they touched this guy, if he were dead and they touched this guy, they would have been ceremonial, ceremonially unclean for seven days. They allowed their church activity to get in the way of actually being what God wanted them to be. How many of us do that? 
We allow, we allow programs. We allow all these things to get in our way. We allow all this stuff to inhibit us from actually doing what God's called us to do. We come into this place where, where it's just more about going through the motions. And I believe that's why so many people are miserable in church today is because there's no relationship with God. It's just a formality that we go through. It's not about having your conscience soothed. It's about being in love with God. It's about being in a relationship with Jesus. It's about actually being filled with the Spirit of God so you can go out and do something about it. But it doesn't seem to work that way. I mean, this is the truth, man. When it becomes more about the chairs you sit in than it is about the people who sit in them, we got a problem. I told the first, we will, we will sell these chairs on eBay, man. I'm telling you. Y'all start sleeping more in this service, we will sell it. We will get rid of them. But it's the truth. It's not about the chairs. It's about the people. And I mean, these chairs aren't for you anyway. They're for people that aren't here yet. It's not about us walking in and being comfortable. It's about us creating environments so that people who walk in the doors and don't know Jesus can come to know him. It's about when when they walk in that we're giving it everything we got with the most excellence we can so that the Spirit of God breaks through their heart of stone and gives them a heart of flesh and a heart of love so that their lives can be changed. But it's getting, I mean, I'm just tired. We walk through the doors of the church and and it's like, it looks like, we, we've been up all night, like just smoking weed or something. And I don't know, we walk in and it's like our eyes are glazed over. And everybody just sits like this. And I'm thinking, are we really here to worship the God of the universe? Have our hearts really been touched by God? Or are we just here just to get through it? Just so that when the, 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 the bell rings, we can go on to the next thing. So that at 12 o'clock we can leave. Because what I read in the scripture is this. The disciples stopped at nothing, nothing, nothing to reach people for his kingdom. It's just not convenient for us. And and I, I can't figure that out. I can't figure out, is it because we really haven't experienced Christ? Because here's the thing. You can't live off of somebody else's experience with Jesus. You gotta have your own. Is it because we haven't surrendered ourselves to him? Is it because, I mean, what is it? Why is it that that we're so dead? Why is it that we're so religiously active and yet we're spiritually dead? And when is it going to change? When are we going to do something about it? When are we going to press into God so that he begins to use our lives? I'm really not interested in doing this for the next 35 or 40 years, however long I, I have the opportunity to do this and just go through the motions. Life's too short for that. Life's too short just to get up and let one day blur into the next without making eternal significance. God's called us to to make a difference. I believe that religion has taught us into sacrificing walking on water for the safety of the boat. I believe somehow we've bought into this concept that, that Christianity is safe. That God would never ask me to do anything that's not not unsafe that it's not safe that that's a little bit risky and the thing that i see in scripture is that god never asked anybody to do anything safe if you feel like god's leading you to do something and it's perfectly safe and there's no chance of of ruining your dignity or 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 taking a step of of faith and falling on your face it's probably not god 
I mean, do you really think that when Moses was going to stand before Pharaoh, do you really think that that was comfortable? I mean, this guy could have had him killed like this. And Moses walks up and he says, oh, by the way, God says, let, your, let my people go. Pharaoh's like, I don't give a flip what your God said. I don't believe in him anyway. And I'll kill you. That did not make him feel comfortable, I guarantee you. But he did it. He was surrendered to God. Well, if I'd seen a burning bush, I'd probably do that. No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. How about, how about Joshua? How easy was it for Joshua to go into a, a land? He, he, he just, it was mind-boggling with people that, that were huge. And to go to Jericho with the worst battle plan that there's ever been. We're going to walk around the city seven times, blow some trumpets and yell, and we're going to see what happens. Y'all in on that one? He must have been an incredible leader to get people to follow him to do that. Because he's like, yeah, let's walk around the city seven times. Yeah, and then the walls fall. That wasn't comfortable. That wasn't easy, but he did it. And God did something amazing. Are we going to settle for staying in the boat and not taking a risk so that we can just feel safe? Let me help you here. You're not safe anyway. Even when you feel in control, you're not in control. There are things that, that are beyond our control. And the harder we try to hold on to them, the more out of control we get. And, and here's the deal. Are we going to stay in the boat? I mean, think about Gideon. If, if Gideon was there, and you were Gideon, and you had you a nice army, and you were about to go fight the Midianites, and then God goes, oh, by the way, Gideon, you got too many people. No, God, I'm good. I've got a good army. No. And he takes him all the way down to 300 people to go and fight the Midianites. That's insane. And yet, Gideon did it. He surrendered his life to God, and he followed God no matter what the cost. And I wonder when are we as the church going to step up? Do we really think it was easy and convenient for Jesus to have nails driven through his hands and feet and, and a crown of thorns pressed on his head? That wasn't safe. But the Bible says that Jesus did it because of the joy set before him. You know what the joy was? You. That's incredible. You. The joy that was set before him was you. It was the fact that he gets to have a relationship with you. That God desired you so much that he gave his son to die for you. What are we giving for him? What are we doing for him? Is our life, is it dedicated to us or is it dedicated to the one who held nothing back? That's the question. If we're going to be the church, it's going to be because we've sold out. And you know what? That's not comfortable. It's not comfortable to surrender control of your life. But if you lose your life, you'll find it. If we'll lose our lives, we will find the life that God desires for us. Next thing is this, that I believe religion sets boundaries to love and God removes them. Religion likes to tell us who we're going to love and who we're not going to love. I heard somebody say this week, they said, you know, when I go to work, I'm around people like me. When I go uh, to my house and my subdivision, I'm around people like me. I love going to our church because there are people who are different from me. And I love that. 
I love the fact that, that we can come in here and people are different. Man, I pray that that would continue to happen, that, that we'd be such a different group. In my opinion, we're not diverse enough. But, but religion loves to put a boundary around those that we're going to love. But here's the thing. Limited love never allows you to see the unlimited power of God. Limited love never allows you to see the unlimited power of God. How big is your God? How big is your God? Can, is God big enough to change a homosexual's heart? Is God big enough to take a prostitute and change her heart? Are you big enough to sit next to one? Is God big enough that if somebody walks through the doors of this church with a needle hanging out of their arm, that he's big enough to change them? My God is. My God's big enough, and I'm not going to settle for, for something less than that because I believe with all my heart that God's called us to the worst of the worst and the least of the least. And if that's not good for you, I'm sorry. But we're going after God, and we're going after the people that he cares about. And if people are important to God, then he needs, they need to be important to us too. And we're not going to stop short of going after those that Jesus came to die for. That's what God's called us to do. And we don't see the power of God so many times because we stay in our little huddle. We never break the huddle to go and, and, and participate in the game. We never get out and do anything because limited love never sees the unlimited power of God. We, were, we took my, my baby, um, our new baby, our seven-week-old, Reed, to see my grandmother this week. We left on Wednesday, came back on Thursday. I put her in, in hospice. She's 88 years old, tough as nails. There's a chance she could go either way. I mean, she's, she's hanging on, but, but it's not good. She's got a blockage in her colon, and because of that, she's in a lot of pain. We took Reed to see her because she's got like 100, I'm serious. When I say 100, I'm not exaggerating, like 100 great-grandchildren. She had um, seven children of her own, and she's got grandchildren everywhere. Great-grandchildren just all over the place. I mean, everywhere. And, and so we wanted her to see Reed. We wanted to take her to see him, and so we go in. That she knew he was coming, so all day long she was going, "Where's that grandbaby?" And they say, "She say, put him right here." And they say, "Mama, my, my aunts will say, Mama, he's not here yet." A minute later, "Where's that grandbaby? Put him right here." And he's not here yet. We walk in the door. She, they say, "Mama, Reed's here." She said, "Just put him right here." And so we walk over, we take him out of the seat, we put him down and, we, and she holds him and she kisses him and she starts crying. She's just so excited, so glad to see him. And I'm amazed, this is such a God thing to me, that she can love so many grandchildren and love them all the same. And I think about God loving us that way. I mean, it's absolutely incredible, the power of his love in our hearts, that, that he loves all of us that way. But the most incredible thing was when, when I'd gotten him back and Susan had fed him and I was holding him and he was sleeping. My grandmother was laying there and she was in some pain and, and she got quiet for a minute. And then all of a sudden, she lifts up her arm like this. And she says, God, lift up your arm. Touch my body and make me well. And then she prayed a quick prayer for her. And then she turns and she starts praying for us. Laying there, knowing she's facing death, she begins to pray a prayer for us. 
And here's the thing that I realized, I mean, and we had church, man. She was throwing down. I was like, we need to record this and play it Sunday. She was letting it loose. And she's praying for us in the midst of her despair and in the midst of this, this, this possibly dying in a week, in days, in hours. But see, here's the thing. When you're in a time of need, when you, when you need God, religion doesn't come into a hospice room and touch your body. Religion doesn't come in and, and let you grab hold of the throne of God so that he can bring peace in the midst of any situation. That only happens when you're in a relationship with God. It only happens when, when you're not going through the motions of life and going through the motions of religion and you're actually allowing God to pour into your heart. You've actually taken the hand of Christ and surrendered your life to him and decided I'm going to live for him. And I looked at her and, and her, her husband, uh, my granddaddy, was a, was a Southern Baptist preacher. But after I heard her pray, I was like, man, she must have been Baptocostal. Because she was throwing down, man. I mean, she was blessing everything and, and praying for everything. And it was incredible. And we left and Susan looked at me and she said, that's probably the closest I've felt to God in a long time. Because when she started praying, the presence of God flooded that room. She started praying, and I'm telling you, heaven started moving. Is that where you are? Have you entered the throne room of God? Are you standing on the outside still trying to make it on your own? Have you given it over to God? Or are you still trying to steer your own life and just make it and just do the things that you think are right? Listen, if, if you're just showing up just because it's religious duty, what are you going to benefit if you're just going through the motions, what's it really going to benefit anybody? When you have this incredible opportunity to know God, to be in a relationship with Him and have Him transforming your life and giving you strength, not just in despair, but in times of joy, to carry you through the circumstances of life. The problem is so many times we look at the circumstances instead of the one who's pulled us out of them. Where are you at? I mean, are we, are we really believing in the unlimited power of God? Next thing is this, that I believe religion causes you to sacrifice passion for complacency. Y'all ever seen uh, that movie, Weekend at Bernie's? You ever seen that? You remember that? They got, to the, they got to the house and the guy died. He was dead. And so they just got him and they drove him around in the golf cart all weekend. And he went to all the parties and he did all the right things and nobody even knew he was dead. They put the sunglasses on him, everything. And then somebody would come by and he'd wave at him. They'd like take his arm and wave at him. And everybody thought he was alive. And everybody looked at him and, and there was some resemblance of being alive. But if you checked his pulse, he was dead as a hammer. And I wonder, are we... Are we alive or are we dead or do we just have some kind of form of being alive that, that we put on our, our sunglasses and our mask and we try to hide the fact that we're really dead on the inside? Nobody ever found life in God until they came to a point that they took off the mask and they surrendered it to Christ. We don't come alive by, by faking it. We come alive when we admit to God, God, I ain't this... I haven't been who I'm posing to be. And I want to be alive in you. I want to be alive in you, Jesus. I want to leave this religious garbage behind. 
And I want to have a relationship with you. Listen to verses 31 through 34. It says, A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. I believe that religion causes us to sacrifice clarity for disillusionment. See, here's the thing that happens when we just live in this religious, um, these religious motions rather than living in a relationship with God. Religion makes promises that it can't keep. Y'all wake up and hear that. Religion makes promises that it can't keep. We, we come to this place where we need God and we know we need God and somehow we get sucked into this religious vacuum. And then all of a sudden we're looking to God and, and we're thinking, well, this is what I need. But religion never satisfied anybody. It never met anybody's needs. It never changed anybody's heart. And so we become disillusioned because we don't see what we were promised. When, when people come to church and, and they're told that this is, this is the truth, this is God, and they walk in and they see nothing godly, they're disillusioned. Can you imagine how disillusioned this man must have been laying on the side of the road? Well, here comes God's people. Surely they will help. And they kept right on walking. How many times do we do that? How many times do we walk past the needs of people when we're called to be a part of the solution for God in this world? How many times do we just keep right on trucking because i got to get somewhere? How many times do we just ignore the issues? Because this is what I believe. I believe a heart that has been touched and transformed by God can't miss the needs of other people. There's something that creates this in you that makes you respond to other people. That makes you go and do the things that need to be done. When we're in that relationship with Jesus. Verse 33 and 34. I'll read them again. But a Samaritan as he traveled came where the man was and when he saw him he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds pouring on oil and why then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. See, religion says that we should wait on the church to organize a ministry for us. God says there's ministry all around you. There's ministry in you. Now quit making excuses and go do something. So many times we sit back and we look at the church and say, all right, church, what are we doing next? And I'm amazed that we walk in and it's like we have people come to this church all the time and, and it blows their mind and they can't stand it because we don't have something every night of the week. And so they sit at home and they're like, well, this can't be right. I mean, we've got too much time. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's no Wednesday night. But let me ask you, what do we really need to do other than gather together on Sunday morning and meet in a small group once a week so that we can be discipled? What else do we really need? We need to go out and be the church rather than thinking we all need to just come together and try to huddle up and, and just soak in some more of each other's presence. I mean, seriously, how much programming do we really need? 
The church was not designed to program you. God was and is. He's the programmer. Are you willing to surrender yourself to him so that you can begin to be used by God? Are you willing to allow him to begin to to shape us, the church, to be what he called us to be? Or are we just going to continue to go through the motions week after week, not doing anything different? Not being a different community. When Jesus came to earth, he came to create a new community that was an alternative to the world. But I'm amazed at how much the church continues to drift towards the world instead of towards God. When are we going to begin to be the church he called us to be? The last thing is this, verse 35. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Religion's taught us to consume all we can, and God has called us to surrender everything we have. It cost this Samaritan something. It cost him something to be able to meet the needs of somebody else. And what I see so much in church is we want this to be something that that it cost us nothing. That all we do is gain and we never give anything. And I'm not talking about just your money. I'm talking about your time. I'm talking about your energy. I'm talking about are you giving yourself to God so that he can be used. So that you can be used by him. And this this is the thing that that I see so many times. We don't want to surrender because we're really not sure if it's going to benefit us the way we want it to. We don't want to surrender because when we get to the end of our lives, will I have missed something because I didn't give, because I gave all I had to Christ? When I get to the end of my life and, and, and I gave everything I had to God, am I going to regret it? And this is the thing I would say to you. I know an 88-year-old woman that I can take you to right now who can tell you, no way. No way will you regret it. Because a relationship with God, a relationship with Christ, it's the reason you exist. So many people walk around wondering, what's my purpose in life? Your purpose is in Christ. Your purpose is in God. You do not get to the end of your life having lived 60, 70, 80, 100 years for God and go, man, I wish I didn't waste all that time. But religion doesn't hold you on your deathbed. Religion doesn't bring peace when things begin to fall apart. What brings peace is God. But we're so disillusioned by the fact that we tried religion and it didn't work. The offer today is, why don't you try Jesus? Why don't you try God? Why don't you surrender yourself to the Holy Spirit and quit putting putting shackles on God and putting limits on how he's going to work in your life. He's calling us to surrender everything we have. Jesus said, look, he told the man, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Surrender all you have. It's going to cost you something, but go and do likewise. We can't do this apart from God. We can't be what we want to be apart from God. We can't be who God's called us to be. Apart from God. And religion's never been the answer. And listen, religiously, the church is better off now than it's ever been. 
But I would dare say there's a good chance it's more spiritually dead than it's ever been. But God's the remedy for that. And a relationship with God is the cure. And I believe this with all my heart, that today the Spirit of God would love to light a fire in you. Would love to set your heart on fire for Him. So that you begin to care so much more about what God thinks about you than other people. So that you could quit wasting emotional energy worrying about other folks' opinion of you and starting to care for the needs of other people. That's what God wants to do. And I believe that if you ask God, He'll do it. I believe that if we cry out to God in desperation, that He'll fill us with the Spirit of God. That He'll begin to change our hearts and begin to do things in our lives that, that are supernatural. And the most supernatural thing he can do is take our selfish heart because 10 out of 10 people are selfish. Take our selfish heart and begin to make us care more about others than we do ourselves. I need God to do that in me. And I feel pretty sure that most of us in here need God to do that. And every one of us. The band's going to come up and, and we're going to play a song that's called We Unite. We Unite.